You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Jim Taddy here. Welcome to episode 16 of Leaf Sky. Thank our PA announcer, Mike Ross, for that fine intro. Coming up on the broadcast today, we're going to go over the Leaf sweep of the Edmonton Oilers, spend a little time, not much attention to the loss in Vancouver on Thursday night, and get you set for the game Saturday in Vancouver as well. Our guest today will be Rob Leth, freelance reporter in Toronto, and Dan Dunleavy, the voice of the Sabres, originally a backup voice for Joe Bowen in our Maple Leaf broadcasts. Of course, Yes Guy, No Guy awards will be handed out, and with Rob, we're going to play Yes Guy, No Guy. But before we get started, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contest with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has played Plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat in all of the action. Making a lineup in DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over. Are you ready for this? Sit down. Do up your seatbelt. $7 billion. Yes, DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using the THPN code. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So let's get into the Leaf story and a big sweep over the Edmonton Oilers. Three games in a row, uh, three different goaltenders, only one goal allowed, and the big two stymied. Connor McDavid totally stymied. And, of course, Dreisaitl, I believe, only came up with one assist. That is correct. That is an awesome display. Tells you many things about how the Leafs are built and how they can perform. And it also, I think, exposes some flaws in the Edmonton Oilers game. So we're not going to waste any time today. We've got some long conversations. The very first one is with Rob Bleth, freelance reporter in Toronto. Well, Rob, I tend to believe that, you know, the the loss in Vancouver was a schedule loss, and that'll be five that the Leafs have had in regulation this year. I'm not going to harp too much on that loss. It just didn't seem the same. But I want to go back to the three wins over Edmonton because, that tells me two things. It tells me that the Leafs can absolutely have attention to detail and, and that would serve them well in a playoff series. And it also tells me that you could sweep Edmonton in a playoff series, which I don't think too many people were thinking before this happened. Yeah, it's uh, it's really weird for, for me because I've been watching this team since uh, the mid 80s. And I can't remember ever watching a Maple Leafs team that was really, really good defensively. They've had teams that have been successful. They've had great goalies, but I've never seen, especially what we saw in these three games against Edmonton, uh, a, a Leafs team completely shut down a great offensive team like the Edmonton Oilers, who have the two top scorers in the NHL 
and the best player in Connor McDavid, who had a couple of chances in the series, but overall he did not look like Connor McDavid. And what the Leafs did in getting in his way, slowing him down, was uh, just unbelievable. And TJ Brody, I thought, really led the defensive charge for the Leafs. And just the, the amount of times that he gets his stick in the right place at the right time without taking any penalties, uh, just you can see why they wanted to sign him in the offseason. And just that off defensive effort by the team combined with their timely scoring showed what this team is capable of doing in the playoffs. Now, to get that done in the playoffs, that's the next stage. Yeah, absolutely. And and they realized that you can't let Connor McDavid get any kind of steam or or speed or or break out from his own zone. So they got on him at the start of the play as opposed to trying to, to deal with him at the end of the play when it's when it's too late. And that attention to detail, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think we could find uh, great goaltending performances and and maybe, you know, at, at different times good defense from the defenseman. But the five-man unit defensive look has never been on display. You'd have to go back many years to find that. And even even the Quinn and Burns years, uh, they had good teams, but they weren't like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the way the schedule is this year, it really reminds me of a baseball schedule, the way you're in the same town, the same city for, for uh, three or four straight games. And this really seemed like a baseball series to me because instead of three starting pitchers, they had three different goalies <laughs> shut out, shut out one goal against. They had a righty, a lefty and a righty. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was just it was really fun to watch. It, it was. And, and uh, you just came away with with so much uh, admiration for where the Leafs are now, because, uh, you know, I just I sort of look at this as. Uh, you know, I don't want to predict the Stanley Cup this year or next year or the year after, but I know that this is the start of some really good years from the Leafs, and there should be a Stanley Cup or two in there somewhere. I don't know when it happens, but I think you would clearly look at this year as the start of the next level. Yeah, and, uh, you know, let's win a playoff series first before predicting a Stanley Cup, right? Because that's yeah. that's the goal for this team to get over that hurdle. And I think once they do that and learn how to win – um, it'll snowball. And you're right. Like the core is intact for several years. These guys aren't going anywhere. They're all under contract, the main core of the team. And, you know, the time is now, the time is next year. The time is the year after that, maybe even the year after that. Like it's, it's a pretty good window for the Leafs team to succeed. And, you know, I, I think they have to at least get to a cup final in the, the next two or three years. Yeah, you know, and, and also what's happening with this team, when you look at, we've talked about the guys they've added, uh, specifically uh, Thornton, Simmons, Brody, and Bogosian, and there are others, but haven't made the same impact. But but the point of that is, is that the core is set, and these guys are added to make the core better. Now, they've tried to do that in the past, but the core wasn't quite as established as it is now, and some of those people that were added just didn't fit in or, or didn't get the job done. But now it's clear that marching forward, the core remains, and you just find the pieces to make it better. When you look at last year, John Tavares, uh, obviously the captain of this team, a veteran guy who's been around, but he was he was almost alone in that leadership role because you know the core of the team is Matthews, it's Marner, it's Nylander, all these young guys. And now, like you said, you bring in Wayne Simmons, you bring in Joe Thornton, proven leaders in the National Hockey League, helping to support a guy like John Tavares and just more voices in the room telling these young guys what needs to happen to get the job done on a consistent basis. And a rejuvenation from Spezza and, and also, and I don't know how long this line stays together, but it would be, it would be hard for me to break it up. But when Simmons comes back, that may happen. Engvall between 
Hyman and Mikheyev. I just, I love watching them play because when I see them play, I look at that line and go, that's a real effective uh, shutdown line, or I'm going to call it a sway line in a playoff series, because in my opinion, in a playoff series, the first two lines should cancel out. So it's what you have below that. That's the factor. I think especially uh, if and what, well, not if, but when fans finally return to the arena, that's the kind of line that's really, you know, especially for the home games, get the crowd jumping and, you know, really get that energy going in the arena. And a guy like Zach Hyman, like the, those three games against Edmonton, I thought he was their best player. Like the way he was skating, not only skating hard, but skating to the dirty areas in the crease and getting a couple of goals and really getting under the skin of Mike Smith. Uh, I thought he was a leader uh, on the ice for sure in those three games. And going back to Connor McDavid is interesting because back when he was in junior and leading the Erie Otters, I actually covered um, the Eastern Conference final or the OHL final against the Oshawa Generals. And DJ Smith was the coach of the Generals at that time. And everyone was worried about Connor McDavid putting up three, four, five points a game. And the way the Generals shut him down, you kind of wonder if DJ Smith kind of, you know, gave that information to the Leafs when he was an assistant coach, because uh, it, it really was incredible to watch in uh, junior, especially because my vantage point was at the end of the rink, uh, you know, behind the net. And I right. could see him charging up the ice. And you could see four generals converging on him, not worrying about the other four guys on the ice, just creating that wedge and forcing him off to the boards and just shutting down his speed, like right from his own blue line. And the generals went on to win the Memorial Cup. All right, are you ready for this? Lightning round of yes guy, no guy. I'm ready. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those listening with wired or wireless earbuds, time now for the Leafs guy edition of yes guy, no guy. Yes guy, no guy number one. The Leafs will play out the season just as they are now. They're going to lose a game here and there, but this is the this is their season. They're just going to roll through. Yes, guy. I think they have the veteran leadership to get that done, and not to. Uh, they have too much talent to fall into any major slump and every time another team comes in and challenges them for first place they answer the bell and widen the gap and uh yes guy i think that uh what we're seeing from the leafs in the first half is what we'll see right through to the second half having said that yes guy no guy you are concerned that the Leafs will not have a severe battle with adversity uh i think that's a hard one I don't know if it's yes guy they will advert uh, battle the adversity or no guy they won't have any adversity but um, well, you there's are adversity. concerned yeah in, in yes guy no guy you, you are concerned that they don't have a battle with adversity uh, I will say yes guy they will battle adversity does that make sense in the second no. half they, no. <laughs> they had the no, no. Uh, answer the question yes guy no guy <laughs> you are concerned they will not have a battle with adversity I don't know guy <laughs> <laughs> no, no, answer the question. <laughs> they had the adversity against the Ottawa Senators uh, in that, that that one unbelievable loss, and they answered that bell. Uh, but I think, yes, guy, I am concerned they will have adversity in the second half, but I think they need that uh, heading into the playoffs. You don't want a perfect season if you're the head coach, as, as uh, you know, as, as nice as that would be. Okay, an easier yes guy, no guy. Yes guy, no guy. Austin Matthews is about to explode offensively. Oh, yes Again. guy, absolutely. Yeah, uh, 100% guy. Um, you know, he, he hasn't scored in the last two games coming back to the in, uh, injury. I think it's four games overall, but it hasn't been for a lack of chances. I think he had five shots in the opening period in that uh, last game against Edmonton. He had some good chances last night, fired one off the post uh, with an empty net, which you don't expect to see from him. 
So, you know, absolutely he's going to break out. I think I, I see a hat trick in the near future. And I think he's going to get right back on pace. And, you know, if he wasn't getting the chances, I'd be more concerned. But I think, yes, guy, he is about to break out for sure. Yes, guy, no guy, the final of this edition. Yes, guy, no guy. The third line as it stands right now, Engvall, Hyman, and Mikheyev will decide a playoff series for the Leafs. No guy. I, I think they're a great line, and I think they'll be effective in the playoffs, but I think the, the decisive uh, you know, players in the playoff series are going to be Freddie Anderson and the top guys getting, getting the goals. So I think they'll be effective, but no guy, I, I don't think they'll be the difference maker. Well, and I don't know what's going to happen with that line. Once Simmons comes back, Kerfoot would drop back into the center spot. And what I really like is the chemistry that the existing line has. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're playing great. But uh, as you know, it's a long season. There's lots of injuries and things change all the time. And to, to say that that's going to be a difference maker in the playoffs now when we're not quite at the half uh, halfway mark of the 56-game schedule, uh, I, I don't, just don't think you can say that at this point. Rob, thanks very much. And now to our second guest, Dan Dunleavy, the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. And, of course, at one time, back up to Joe Bowen on Maple Leaf Radio broadcasts. And it's an interesting conversation. I think you'll agree. Okay, Dan, when you look back over your tenure as, as the Leaf play-by-play announcer, back up to Joe Bowen, uh, what, what springs to mind? What jumps off the page immediately? Uh, the first time I walked in a plane and saw the Toronto Maple Leaf logo uh, on an airplane seat and my name next to that. And I just couldn't believe what was happening because Jim, um, the really start of the story was I never applied for the job. I didn't know the job was there. Um, even if I knew the job was there, I probably thought I didn't have a hope in heck of landing it because it's, you know, one of the most coveted jobs in the national hockey league, but you know, fate kind of shined on me that day. And, uh, I got a phone call as I was about to board a plane to call an MLS game for the fan 590 and working with Toronto SC at the time and their partnership. And before I was about to get on a plane to Chicago, my phone rang just before boarding. And it was a gentleman by the name of Chris Hebb, who at the time I had no idea who Chris Hebb was. I thought, who's this guy calling me? But it did say Maple Leaf sports and entertainment on the, on the phone. So I thought, well, I better answer it. It's at least their soccer club that I'm working with. And, um, Chris began to ask at that point if I would like to be a radio voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I just kind of, I remember standing, looking out the airport window and looking at the plane I'm supposed to board. And I just had this kind of dumbfounded look on my face thinking, uh, is this call for real? And the answer is yes. Uh, but there were also other extenuating circumstances in my career at the time, as you know, um, you know, you can go quite a while without opportunities and all of a sudden two or three come at you at once and, uh, you're not sure what you know step you should make without getting people irked one way or another. Uh, but this was a no-brainer, obviously, to say yes to Chris and the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then we kind of worked things out from there. You know, you're part of a trifecta. So Kenny Daniels, we had him on a couple of weeks ago, now the voice of the Red Wings on TV. Dennis Bayek replaced Kenny Daniels, the voice of the Winnipeg Jets for TSN. And you come in, and now you're the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, that that's a that's good company. Yeah, well, both and both of those gentlemen will come as no surprise to you. Uh, we're a major influence, and I don't say this just for sake of you know having a conversation with you, but it's the absolute truth. Uh, I remember first of all Ken Daniels when he was working with me in Toronto Sports Radio, uh, coming to Maple Leaf Gardens with me. We'd ride down together to every Leafs practice. 
Uh, he, of course, is calling Leaf Games at the time and working for Hockey Night in Canada. And he had nothing but advice for me on how to do things. And you know Kenny well. He's such a professional, uh, detail-oriented. Uh, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is where you go. This is who you talk to. And that, for a young guy who had just come into the Toronto market, um, you know, was just, uh, it was gold for me. And the conversations we had down on the car were really uh, life-changing and altering for understanding what kind of business I was trying to get into uh, just at that time as a, you know, a, an update guy and reporter and trying to make my way up the chain at the, at the fan at that time. And then for Dennis Bayak, as our relationship grew and we slowly got to know one another, I remember traveling out West and getting out to the Okanagan Valley and visiting him there and, and meeting his family. And they, again, you know, didn't really know me that well, but treated me like gold. And again, had a ton of advice uh, with what to expect and chasing my dream. And I was nowhere near it at that point. But Dennis knew that and not a lot of guys will do that, as you know, in this business. When you've got huh. some young guys who want to step into that role, uh, you know, I didn't show up and say, Dennis, I want to take your job because I didn't think Dennis would ever leave that post. And obviously with, with he and Joe sharing the broadcast and then many, many years later, as you mentioned, he gets the opportunity to go to Winnipeg and uh, that resulted in the phone call I received. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the business is, is full of insecurity. And, and most, of the, most of the time, your mentor will not tell you pertinent facts. But, but in this case, this just speaks to who these guys are. Yeah, 100%. And uh, to this day, you know, I talk about them all the time. I stay in touch with Kenny more than I do with Dennis, probably just because of different time zones. And, uh, you know, Kenny, we pop into Detroit a little bit more often than we would out in Winnipeg. But it's always great to go out to Winnipeg and, and see Dennis. Sadly, we don't get to do that this year. But no, they were major influences on me. And again, it, you know, it was a time and without their influences, Jim, to be honest, and um, just being around professionals in the business and understanding how to handle things. I think when I got that initial call to join the Maple Leafs, I was a little bit puzzled as to what to do. And I'll tell you why. I was working at the fan, as you know, for about 19 years. Uh, then I was offered the opportunity to be the voice of their junior hockey game of the week, something they were just rolling out. Uh, I was going to work um, with Sam Cosentino, who is still the color commentator, working with RJ there in, in that capacity. But I was offered that position. So I was set and uh, just told the fan that, listen, Sportsnet had made this offer. I'm going to make the jump and do this junior game of the week, which I was very excited to do with my OHL background. And then literally, I mean, after I told uh, Scott Moore and company that I was in for that job and excited to make the move, um, I'd say maybe it was Two weeks later, I got the phone call asking if I would join the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at that time, you know better than I. I didn't understand how connected everything was in the business and how much yeah. everybody knew everybody. Um, so when I talked to Chris Hebb on the phone, I said, Chris, I'm saying yes to this job, but I just told Scott Moore and his people that I accepted a Sunday night game of the week for junior hockey on a national television network. And I'm about to have to tell a guy who I am all of a sudden very afraid of that I'm now two weeks later saying no to this opportunity, uh, which we're taught, as you know, never to say no. You say yes. I mean, yeah. no never comes out of your mouth. So I remember sitting at Scott Moore's office at the time and basically kind of slouched over, Mr. Moore, I hate to do this, but uh, I can't take the job. I just said yes to. And it's funny. Scott's walking around his office. He's got a baseball bat in his hand. <laughs> which is even more intimidating at the time. <laughs> and I remember before asking for the meeting, because I'd never sat down and talked to him. I'd heard all about him. I knew about him. Uh, I had been in a van once with him in Switzerland. That's another story uh, with a bunch of broadcast executives. Um, but I was afraid to go into that meeting. I didn't know what to do at that time, except tell the truth and just, you know, let the cards fall where they may. And Scott was great. He said, normally I would say to you now, you're dead to me. 
but because you came in and face to face and right away told me the truth about it, there's no way you're going to turn down an opportunity with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, I wish you all the best. And listen, that was it as far as the Sportsnet connection goes. Uh, Of course, and then I found out afterwards, you know, Chris Hebb told me, listen, they've stolen enough talent from us. We're going to steal one from them. So don't you worry about it. And then the light went on in my head thinking, uh, you guys have done this before, so I should not yeah. worry about it and just take the job and move on. Well, you're right. They are connected. So Chris Hebb, to me, uh, way back in the early days of Sportsline, our Vancouver station uh, had a show called Sports Page. Uh, Paul Carson yeah. uh, was the host, and Chris Hebb was his partner. And so <laughs> we knew of each other, right? And, and I did yeah, go yeah. up there to cover stuff. And, and so we had met. And so when the rights were reconfigured for – the way they are now, he was the head man, and, and that's one of the reasons why I was on added to the broadcast because we he knew my background and, and knowing is a big part of this business. Well, and that's the thing because as I mentioned off the top, I never applied for this lease play-by-play job because I didn't know it was there. I mean, I didn't even bother sending a resume. Joe Bowen's not going anywhere. Dennis Bayak probably absolutely loving the job. Why would he go anywhere? Uh, and then the Winnipeg thing happens. But again, I didn't, I'm not a guy who pays attention to a lot of the movement to my own fault early in my career, especially, and probably even still to this day, uh, I get into a setting and I apply myself hundred percent. I don't kind of fish around and I wasn't at that time. So when I got the phone call, I didn't know where it came from because I didn't apply for it. I didn't send any tapes. I didn't send any resumes, but you bring up a good point. I think it's something for, if we want to talk to, you know, the young guys and women coming up through the business, no matter what you do, you have to do your best at it because it was Chris who told me, listen, we've been listening to your world junior calls for years. And at that time I'd done them for, I think it was eight or nine years. Uh, we've been following you with your St. Mike's broadcast and the OHL game of the week on Rogers, which you know very well through your experience. And sometimes you're calling those games or you're working the games and you think there might be only 200 people watching or 50 people. But the reality is the industry is watching. There is somebody who is in a position to hire that is kind of flipping around saying, well, who they got on Rogers or who they got on TSN or who they, who's calling what these days, yep. uh, just in case we need a guy or, or a gal to fill the role. And that's exactly what happened to me, which, you know, it just always reminds me that no matter what you're doing, where you're doing it, just do your best job. doesn't matter what the product is on or off the ice. You do your best job and you see where that'll take you. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the executive won't acknowledge your existence, but they know all yeah. about you. <laughs> exactly. Well, they certainly never introduce themselves. And as I say, <laughs> so I get a phone call and say, Chris Hebb, I should probably know who you are, but who are you? you know? Yeah, so. yeah, I know. It, that's that's the uh, the card game that goes on. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're doing the Leaf games, and uh, uh, I I could jump to the last one, but but take us through uh, you know your run with the Leafs there, the two year run. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I think it's something that, to be honest, it's very cliche, but a lot of it is a blur except for working with Jim Ralph, because you remember every single joke and every moment (laughs) that he keeps things light for a guy at that time that was, you know, very nervous. And again, as I said, you're stepping onto an air, your first charter airplane ride with an NHL hockey team and uh, you're being told where to sit, what to do, what to wear, when to do this, when to do that. And then Ralphie gets on board and tells you every classic joke he's ever had. And then you just start laughing the whole trip. And then all of a sudden it's game time and you settle in and do what you do. So, you know, I don't have any specific game by game recollections. It's funny because I knew when you asked me to come on and, and just recollect a little bit here, I was trying to think back to, what was that first game I called? I don't exactly remember, but I know I was nervous. And, you know, I remembered that 
hey, this is the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're in Toronto. This is you're in big boy country now, and you've yeah. you've got to step up and do a good job. So I, I think there were probably some nerves for the first 10 minutes of the game. I probably spoke way too much, way too fast. My voice was probably pitched way too high for the whole broadcast. Uh, and then, as I say, during a break, Ralphie would lean over and shove his face full of popcorn and spill it all over the floor. And then I look over <laughs> and laugh. And I think, why am I? Look at this guy. Why am I? Why am I nervous? <laughs> this uh, guy should be do, nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Ralphie will ease your ease your your fears. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and that was, uh, as you know, that was important because I mean, you've worked in partnerships before, and quite often you can get into these situations just sit down and think. Oh boy, I don't know how this is going to go. But with Jim Ralph, I mean, it was just remarkable. Every day going to the rink was an absolute pleasure and joy, and you look forward to it so much. And uh, even when we reconnect again, uh, which we aren't doing this season, obviously, but every time we get back into Toronto where they come to Buffalo, you know, I just can't wait to see him and hear the same jokes again and laugh just as much. So, well, and you touched on something there that uh, I, I guess is, is probably unspoken a lot, but certainly for, for those that cover the team, the scrutiny on the Leafs, regardless yeah. of the situation, is full glare. There's no question about that. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, you know, I have to remember, too, I may have been dabbling in Twitter at that time. Um, but I, I don't think too much because I don't remember ever coming home afraid for my job or thinking that, boy, this guy or this person on Twitter really called me a blank hole and I suck. I mean, I didn't think I was that bad. So I, I never felt that with the club um, and in that job, in that position, as you mentioned, the scrutiny, because the scrutiny is not just for the players. It is about everything around it. Oh yeah. Uh, and one thing I did find though, in working with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment, I mean, the first year was with uh, talk Six Forty at the time. Uh, and they brought me on board with Maple Leaf sports and they had the rights in my first year. And then the second year went to the partnership between Bell and Rogers so the first year was, you know, strictly a 640 situation. Great people there. I'd never been in any radio station outside of the first one I'd worked with in Toronto for 19 years. So that was in itself a different situation. But just lovely people there, and I felt really welcomed. And then when the big change happened, and it was, you know, both the fan and Rogers and TSN all involved, uh, you know, it was back to being on on really both stations and for the first time being part of the TSN situation because I was with MLSC. So, um, you know, the second year became a little bit more confusing compared to the first year, uh, just because you had to remember what station you were on and remind yourself you're still working for the hockey club. But yeah, the scrutiny was everywhere. Um, I think it benefited me having worked at the fan and being a reporter, Jim, covering the team before I jumped in any kind of play-by-play -play role to at least understand what it's like for the players after the game. And I know you've been there to not just sit there and call a game and maybe, you know, opine a couple of times with Jim when he will look at a play and talk about why things happen uh, or bring you to tears with laughter because the game was so bad. He knew the broadcast needed it, but just to understand what the, the players do go through after the game, that there's, you know, a sea of 30 journalists standing in front of often at times, as you know, one player would get run out back in those days and yep. that's all you that's all you would get post game. I, I'm pretty sure it's changed in Toronto now, but it used to be Shane Corson would come out and that might have been it for the night or Matt Sundin would come out and that might have been it for the night after a loss. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you're leaving this to one guy to tell a whole city what went wrong and how bad that product was on the ice. So to understand that kind of scrutiny, I did. I do think helped me and it certainly helps me to this day, too. Um, you know, with the uh, unfortunate in the standings position of the Sabres here in Buffalo, it's just to know that, you know, it's kind of your job as a play-by-play -play person to entertain the fans. And even if the game isn't going well, 
you know, Razor and I down here in Buffalo, we try to put, you know, some kind of entertainment into the show because when the product isn't succeeding for the fans, uh, you still want them to tune back into your next broadcast and find a reason to laugh with you maybe and just, you know, not make light of what's happening on the ice, but in some way, uh, you know, be with them and share with them and the, the fact that things aren't going well, but hey, it's sports here. We're trying to have fun and hope for a better day tomorrow. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the player interview situation because in some of these situations, the team is not good. And for me, there was always two uh, scenes that would tell you exactly the pain that the team was going through. One was the post-game interview with the player after the loss. And in the old days, when you could get into the dressing room, you would just feel the, the not negativity, but the uh, disappointment very heavy. Uh, and the yeah. other one was uh, the, when, I, when I did it for Global, when I was hosting for Global, the odd time, not every time, but sometimes we'd get on the team bus to go to the airport. And on that team bus, after a loss, yeah. you'd hear a pin drop. There was nothing yeah. there. You'd yeah. look at the players and you go, oh, my God, these guys are, they're, they're, there's nothing left in them. They're, they're, everything's been taken out of them. It was, it was actually sad. Yeah, well, you know what, and I'm glad you told that part of the story because it reminds me of one I, I've not shared too much, but I'm going to share it with you now because I think it would be a real interest to your audience. And um, in riding uh, on team buses, as you know, there's a lot of conversation that goes on. And when you work for the team, you don't share any of it because you're in a you're in yep. an area or a confine that is you're the guest and everything stays there. That's there kind of safety area. But I think there's one story for me worth telling that I witnessed because it speaks very highly of someone that you talk about criticism, took a lot of it when he became captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that's Dion Phaneuf. But we were in Carolina, and after a game one night in Carolina, uh, for people that don't know, and that would be most people, outside the rink uh, in Raleigh, there is an area where the buses drive through, but there's a fenced-off area that we have to pull through to, to make our way back to the airport and leave the rink. And outside that fenced area, it doesn't matter if it's the Sabres or the Leafs, there are a ton of fans for that team uh, waiting just to get a glimpse of their players. And it doesn't matter if they lost 5 nothing, 5-1. They're so excited to see the players. And I think based on what you mentioned, you know, after a loss, these guys don't really want to talk to anybody. And I get it. I, I yeah. get it. Not only because they lost, but because they just had someone who never played the game question why they lost. You know, there's yeah. more There's more and more former NHLers now that are analysts in the game, I think, that find a way and understand, look, you got to ask the question this way because just saying how do you feel anymore is not going to cut it because they just want to punch you in the face. But in this particular instance, I saw all these Leaf fans outside the gate and the guys are getting on the bus and not many of them. And I, I'm going to say, I, I don't want to say not everybody, but I don't remember one of them going to the fence. And again, you have time after the game. Guys are showering, guys are post-game. They're coming to the bus on their own pace. Some guys are out of there in five minutes. Other guys, it takes them a half an hour. Uh, as broadcasters, you're out there in five minutes because you're ready to go. But yeah, I remember right. sitting in, in this particular time, it was a younger player, and I don't remember, and that's thankful for this part of the story, got on the bus and sat down. And Dion Phaneuf, who was the captain at the time, and again, as you say, the scrutiny this guy was under, uh, probably more than many as a captain of the team, um, he made a comment to this player and said, hey, there are people who came out to see us play here tonight, and they're at the fence waiting for an autograph. You should go oblige them. And it was a young player. He was a rookie player. And I just thought in that moment, I thought, you know what? Good for you. Because no matter what you thought of his game on the ice on any particular night, 
you know, he understood what those people at the fence were there for. And they, yes, they would have loved to have a win, but they made that trip from wherever just to have a chance for someone to come over and just say hi. And the player got off the bus, went and said hello. And I'm pretty sure a few other players kind of followed too uh, because the captain who, again, the little things that people don't see, uh, it's not always about the wins and losses. It's about connecting with your fans. So I always remember that about Dion, and I really have a, a ton of respect for him because he got that part of the game. Well, and that brings up another thought. As you know, Leaf fans can be very harsh when their team is suffering. And uh, it, through that and doing the Leaf games, I, I sort of formulated uh, this bit of analysis that when people would run at a player, I would just say he's an NHL player. Just because yeah. he doesn't fit here, it doesn't mean he's not playing somewhere else. And there were many stories like that. The one that jumps off the page for me would have been Hal Gill. Uh, when he was with the Leafs, maligned as a Maple Leaf, but went on to Pittsburgh and, and other places and did rather well. It's all about the fit, but sometimes the passion of Leaf fans overrides the sense. Hey, and another guy who played through it was also a Gill, Todd Gill. I mean, he, right. used to get, he used to get railed on every night by fans, and all of a sudden he grows as a defenseman. He grows into his role, becomes a guy you talked about less and less every night for what went wrong on the ice. Uh, much of it due because the entire team wasn't playing well. But, you know, you're right. There's always a player. Uh, Larry Murphy's no better example than that yeah, in Toronto yeah. sports history uh, that does take the brunt of it. And for Dion, he took the brunt of it. And um, listen, he's his own person. We're all our own people. We walk and talk our own way. And I, I had no problem with it. And I, I say, even on nights where you thought, oh, my goodness, what's happening out there on the ice uh, after the game? I thought he handled himself as a professional. And, and that's his job. So let's go back to the beginning. Why did you want to start this journey? What was it that got you into this business? I just have no problem talking, Jim. I could probably talk forever. <laughs> I don't butt into conversations, but as you can probably already tell, and as Nelson Millman, my former program director, would tell you, um, I needed to learn to ask questions that were you know shorter than 13 sentences, and I uh, probably still haven't learned to do that. So just a gift for the gab. And as a young fan of the sport growing up and really sports period, my mom and I watch sports together all the time. Mom is still with us. Uh, dad passed away a couple of years ago and dad would kind of poke his head in here and there, but he'd do it to agitate me. He'd always pick the team I was rooting for and go against them just to get me all fired up. Um, <laughs> But mom was the one who'd sit on the couch and we'd watch Olympics together. We'd watch uh, the Sabres when they were on, uh, I believe it was Channel 2 back in the day and Ted Darling was calling yeah. the games. We'd watch Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, we never missed a sporting event. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, she loved the Jays when they first came into the market and we never missed a game. So, uh, you know, that was it for me. I just loved it. And I knew that not being the uh, excellent athlete that I would need to be to make any kind of professional sports team, like many of us in this side of the business, we thought, well, how – you know, how do I stay connected with sports here? And if someone actually is going to pay me to be involved in sports somehow, how do I get that job? Because that seems like a great gig. Um, so that's something that as I went through high school and took a couple of courses that, you know, involved more and more communications and being in television studios, I just realized that this was going to be for me. Uh, the science and the math and the history and all that stuff, I was just the blank stare at it. I, As much as I tried to get interested, I couldn't. But as soon as you start talking about current events, start talking about people, talk about human interest and all that type of stuff, I, I just took a real shine to it. So uh, that's how it started. And then for me, out of college, working um, in Welland, Ontario, uh, while attending Niagara College, I was a country music DJ for two years. I never envisioned that, Jim. I mean, I was a rock and roll guy, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Black Sabbath, Van Halen. And then I remember a teacher down here at uh, Niagara College saying, listen, 
you all think you're going to come here and be rock and roll jocks and sport jocks. It's, there's not many of those jobs out there. So you're, you're going to have to lower your expectations. And then sure enough, I'm a country DJ and I'm on the air. And I remember one night it was CHOW in Welland, Ontario. I say, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mrs. Conway Twitty there on 1470. And then I play the song and realize, well, Conway Twitty's not a Mrs. It's a Mr. And oh, <laughs> somebody called the sta- somebody called the station and said, uh, I remember it was an old lady, sounded like somebody's grandmother said, uh, son, you're new to country music, aren't you? And I said, well, I know a bit about it. She says, yeah, you know, very little bit about it. Conway Twitty, uh, you should know by now is a man. And that was my introduction to classic country. So, you know, I kind of learned just to, as I said earlier, you never say no to an opportunity. And that was my yeah. first opportunity ever in broadcasting to be a country DJ and uh, quickly learned my way around 80s country music. And then just took every single opportunity that came up for me, which happened to be in Orangeville, did every job at that station possible, except for the traffic department upstairs where you scheduled commercials and everything. I never touched that, but I did everything else. Uh, just waiting for a chance to call a hockey game or any kind of sports action. And that wouldn't come for years later. And even the leaf job that you asked to talk about here. I mean, I'm in my forties by the time that happens. And, you know, a lot of guys, it happens quicker. They're in their twenties and they've got these great opportunities on networks and what have you. Uh, but I'll always remember and tell the story that, you know, you never stop because for me, as again, I was in my forties before I even got a call asking to do half of the games to share the load with Joe. Okay, so when when you first got into sports, this might be yeah. a weird question, but I think when we're starting out, we all do this. Who did you try to be? Try to be as a sports broad well, play by play wise, yeah, play by play wise. I mean, it was Bob Cole and it was Ted Darling for me, um, yeah. you know, and it really still is. They're still in my head every time I call a game. Uh, their cadence, the tone of voice, their when when to rise to a different level with the you know with the shot or just kind of ride a bit of a wave. Um, I did have to learn not to, as Nelson Millman told me, calling uh, National Lacrosse League games when they had twenty six goals a game not to call the first goal like it was the game winner, which I had a habit of doing. <laughs> I remember one night I was calling Toronto Rock games and Nelson said, um, so how do you think it went last night? I said, oh, ton of energy. I love this game. He says, yeah, all that energy I felt on the first goal of 26. Tone it down a little bit and let it work its way out. So those were the play-by-play guys for me. Danny Gallivan is an absolute legend in my mind. Yeah, uh, And, you know, along with Bob and, and Ted, those are my top three for who shaped me as a play-by-play uh, guy. And then you get into guys who you know who call games and you listen. I mean, Doc Emmerich, for me, yeah. was a guy that I learned a different way to call a game. Doc had a real way of kind of telling a story while he called a game. It was very interesting to me because in Canada, we didn't call games that way, as you know. We have more of a traditional, uh, like Rick Jenneret does down here and has now for 50 years, uh, just call the game. And, you know, but Doc kind of worked in some storytelling to his call. And this guy's from here and he's got this and I'm shot in front. I'm thinking, well, how do you sneak that in there? So, you know, that had an influence on me as well. And then growing up from a sportscaster point of view, I grew up listening to CFRB as a kid. And that's because of my parents. Uh, Obviously, I don't know what the situation is Toronto now, but CFRB for the young viewers of your podcast here was a powerhouse in, in Toronto and powerhouse in Canada. Uh, if yeah. you were working at if you were working at CFRB, as you know, um, you'd made it. You were with the big boys, yep. uh, and and the big ladies and the big girls. I mean, it was for everybody. Uh, so that's how I listened to growing up. And you know, the Pat Marsdens, the McFeens, and all those 
broadcasters who were just so professional in how they did it. Jim, that's that's really who shaped me growing up to be a you know a broadcaster. Well, we walked into a, a, a business that had a really high standard, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so so it was, uh, I'm not going to say intimidating, but you knew that you had to up your game to, to even hope to get there. So let's well, say, uh, you know, it wasn't really quick. It was intimidating because I remember graduating from college and I sent a tape to CFRB thinking I'm ready. I've had three years of college. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. And the news director at the Times, he sent me a, you know, he sent me a reply, which was nice, but it was very short and sweet. He said, call me in 10 years. And at the time I thought, what a jerk, <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> I've already put in three years in college. I've gone through high school. My parents don't know a thing yeah. about life. I'm ready to go. Ten years. Yeah. Where do I put that ten years in? But he was 100% correct. You know, yeah. call me in ten years. That's not the case anymore because it's a you know it's a money operated business a lot more so than it was back in the day, uh, and that's maybe to nobody's fault. That's just where the world is right now. But it's a more yeah. painful one for those of us, as you know, on this end of the microphone. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that, that's the way it evolved. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's end on the last game you did as a Maple Leaf. There's a certain night, May 13, 2013, yeah. the Boston TD Garden that I know for sure. Yeah. I call this the passport game because I was working with Jeff O'Neill and our boss came into the studio when it was 4-1 and said because we were doing uh, the first round on uh, like in the studio, the second yeah. round we were going to travel and was going to be the Rangers. And he said, I hope you guys have your passports. And as soon as he spun around and left, the trend started to shift magnificently so, the other way. That's good because then the story here will even play along with yours because it's uh, it parallels even though it's slightly different. First of all, uh, the night before that game or the game before that game, it was pouring rain in Toronto. And the Leafs had just forced that game. And I'm working as a reporter at that time outside for the fan. And I've got... Um, I don't think I have Mark Osborne beside me, but I'm not sure. The reason I bring that up is because Mark Osborne becomes the color commentator for the game that you were talking about that I wound up calling. So for those that don't know the situation, yes, it was a Rodgers and Bell situation. It was Bell's turn to host that particular game i believe you can well, we did the official broadcast yeah so but it, right so it was your turn but it was night by night was it not i think it was like each yeah stations would take this game and then that game so that that led as i said to the confusing part about what station am i on the night you always had to have a card with you to remind you what station you were on but anyway the night so that when we know that we're going to the Leafs are going to play boston um in that game I get a phone call. I'm standing in the rain. I know I've got a microphone in my hand and I'm doing uh, some kind of report. I can tell you how good my memory is, but it's um, our program director, uh, Don Collins at the time. And uh, Don says, "Um, Hey, you're uh, going to Boston to call the game. And I thought it's not our turn. What do you mean? I'm calling the game. Joe Bowen's Joe Bowen's calling the playoff game. I mean, what what do you mean? I'm doing it. So um, it turned out that, because both teams had a right to the game in the playoffs or whatever was stated in the contract. I have no idea. I just know that I was asked, can you find a color commentator? Okay. Um, I've worked with Mark Osborne recently. We called a world hockey championships together and had a great time in Halifax and Quebec doing that. And I just remember the chemistry between Ozzy and I was really good. And uh, I suggested him and then the phone call was made uh, to Ozzy to be the color commentator. He and I are on a charter plane the next day to get to Boston for the game. So we fly in the day of the game. And it was the most awkward moment I've ever had in my career. Huh. 
Joe and Jim know obviously that we're showing up. I mean, the word is spread that, Hey, the other guys are doing a broadcast too. We walk into the TD garden and we walk into the media meal room and I didn't walk in with any bounce of my step because I knew it was kind of like head down and uh oh, because yeah. yeah. there's, the there's team bus again. Yeah, yeah, there's there's Joe and there's and there's Ralphie. And I'm thinking, hey, I didn't do this just so you know. I mean, I didn't. There are guys, as you know, there are guys that would get on the phone and say, hey, I got to call that game. You got to make it happen. That yeah. was not us. Uh, we walk into the meal room and there's Ralphie and Joe Bowen. I mean, it's Joe Bowen for crying out loud. And I'm walking in and I just, Joe, I, sorry, man. I mean, I was told to call, come this, told to come call this game. I don't know what's going on. He says, I don't know what's going on either, but let's just do our jobs. And, you know, Ozzy and I get up there and we call the game. And the moment you just referenced uh, in working with Jeff O'Neill, in working with Ozzy, the Leafs are up 4-1, and Mark's on his cell phone, and he's texting someone. And I said, what are you doing during a break? He says, we're playing the Rangers the next round. I said, if you say that on the air, when we come back, I will slap you. And I swear to goodness, that's exactly what I said to him. I said, don't you dare jinx what's happening up here, and you got to stop that texting. And sure enough, that's when it started to collapse. And I just looked at him and I said, look, you and your buddy there, whoever you texted, thinking you're going to play the Rangers in the next round before the whistle blows on this thing. And it just fell apart. And the aftermath was something I'll never, ever forget. So it's Paul Hendrick and the entire crew. We're all out together. Um, and we're at a bar in Boston. So the, the fans in Boston are very boisterous and celebrating. And we had a table of us sitting there and we ordered a pitcher of, or two of drinks and we just sat and looked like we're all staring at a blank wall. And there was, we weren't saying very much. We were just so stunned and shocked with what had just happened because you were at a point of a pretty high and, you know, exciting time. You're ready to roll. And then all of a sudden it was just yanked out from under the team and you felt it was yanked out from under you. And we just sat at this bar in Boston and I don't know, we might've said three words to one another before Ralphie cracked some joke probably and got us all laughing again. And, realize that life for us goes on but yeah that was that was my last game calling for the maple Leafs before i got a call here from buffalo um i had a year remaining on my deal to stay in toronto and of course his fate turns out at a great opportunity here in buffalo and, and boy did things change with the leafs after uh, after that year absolutely dan really appreciate your time and, and great to reconnect I always i've always been a fan uh, listen, uh, you know what I uh, think about your work over the years and how you've been one of the mentors as well. And your show, uh, you talk about people who watch certain shows growing up and said, hey, if I can do this for a living and have as much fun as those guys were doing, then yeah. where do I sign? Where do I sign up? Because you made it fun. Uh, and at the end of the day, as I said many times in this, um, you know, that's even what we're trying to do. The team here in Buffalo is really struggling. Uh, but Razor makes sure that, you know, we remind ourselves that, you know, and RJ as well. Uh, we got to find a way to entertain people here. And you did that very well. And you certainly led the way for many of us. So thank you for that. And I'm honored to be part of your show. Well, thank you very much. And my line always was, if I'm laughing, you're laughing. <laughs> exactly. <Good stuff. laughs> Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, Dan. Take care. Last minute of play in this podcast. Well, there is the time warning from PA announcer Mike Ross. We got to get this in lickety split. So here are the Yes Guy Awards for this week. Yes Guy to William Nylander again. Yes, guy. William Nylander finding the net, looking good, especially in the Edmonton series and going back to the game he won against Calgary. Yes, guy to the third line. Engvall, Hyman, and Mikheyev. They look startlingly good out there. Really good offensive pressure, good defensively. I'd love to see this line in a playoff series. Yes, guy, too. The Leafs goaltenders, all three. 
What a marvelous story that is. Three different goaltenders against the Edmonton Oilers, and they allowed one goal. That is an emphatic, yes, guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 16. Hope you return for episode 17 on Tuesday.